Welcome to this Skyride local podcast made in conjunction with the London Festival of Architecture. Skyride is part of Sky and British Cycling's ambition to encourage one million more people to cycle regularly by 2013. Skyride local events take place across the country and cater for cyclists of all ages and abilities. They are free to join in and led by British cycling trained ride leaders who will guide you along the route and provide tips and advice on cycle safety and skills. If you enjoy this podcast, which takes you on a virtual bike ride around some of London's most inspiring architectural features and landscapes, there are five more podcasts in the series and a lot more Skyrides coming up throughout the summer. Visit www.goskyride.com for more details. Remodelling old housing estates with Wayne Hemingway. Ideas about city housing schemes have changed almost beyond recognition over the last hundred years. This is a tour of some of London's most iconic housing estates, showing how they've been remodelled and updated for a new century and a new way of living. The ride is led by Wayne Hemingway, but a cast of architects share their expertise on the particular developments they've worked on. They are David Levitt, Caroline Duff, Sheila McManus and Kayvan Lankarani. Good evening, I'm Wayne Hemingway. I've led one of these bike rides every year for the last three or four years, I think. And um, this one's a little bit different and, and a lot better for me than the other ones, well, a lot easier for me than the other ones have been. Because this time we've got an, an expert on each of the buildings who's going to be with us at every single building. So you're not going to have to listen to me every time. I can, I can learn in the same way that you lot can learn a bit tonight from the people who've actually been involved in it. Um, the, the background to this, to this ride that we've put together is the, the kind of landscape of housing and, and um, has changed, has changed a lot in the, since the downturn. We've got to a situation where even in London it's becoming, it's becoming difficult to justify financially to knock down a building uh, and, and to rebuild with new. Uh, so, and once you get outside of London now, the idea of knocking uh, a 1960s, 70s or 80s uh, social housing development down and building it with new is, is completely out of the question. And it's probably for the better anyway, because most of the time they've built worse. Uh, the house builders have, bu- have built worse than what, what they knocked down. And so the, the concept of refurb, to me, is, is the most interesting thing that's going on in housing right now. It should be, in, in principle, better for the people that live here, because in terms of space standards, um, I assume this is on Parker Morris. Not well. In, in many of them, it's on. You'll find tonight will be on Parker Morris standards, which are are roughly 30% more than the average new build apartment now. Um, and so, obviously, space is very important to us all. For a point of sustainability as well, there's plenty of people doing the maths at the moment. If to refurb a building, in theory, um, the car, the carbon footprint of knocking down and rebuilding even though it's very difficult with some of these buildings to actually make them uh, thermally efficient. When you take into account the carbon footprint of building and knocking down, it it makes a lot of sense to have a go uh, and to realise that over the next few years we'll probably get very good at at making these buildings more carbon efficient than than knocking down and building and starting from scratch. So that's it from me. Um, We're lucky enough to have... um, David Levitt from Levitt Bernstein, who are the ones behind this building. Now, I will say a few more words because I was, um, when I first came to London when I was 18 back in 1979, I stayed in uh, a block of flats. I lived 
for a while in a block of flats, the next block of flats down from here called Hughes Parry Hall. When I came down, I studied um, urban design at UCL just through there. And, um, and this place was an absolute shithole. It was, it was so, it was so frightening. Even as a student, you would not have walked, you would not have walked through here in, in the late 70s. It was really rough. And to come here now, the shops just got worse and worse over, the la over that decade from 79 to, to, to 90 and probably even got worse in the 90s, did it? I would have, mm. I would have thought. Yeah. To the point where it was just an absolute abomination on, on the ground level. Uh, it still retained cool people living, living, you know, and it still retained architects. Like, like many of these buildings, it retained architects, including, including David, li living here. But now, now look at it. It's a place where people come to of an evening, of a day, to shop, to, to, have, to, to have a drink, uh, and it works. So, but, but now David's going to take over. I think you want to take us up. This building was designed by an architect called Patrick Hodgkinson. It's basically the only building that he that he's built, apart from a couple of buildings in Cambridge, which he did before. Um, it was designed in the 1950s, it was finished in 1972, and it was an exercise in how to get the maximum density that you were allowed to build in London um, uh, without going high, and to create as much open space as possible. So, so the, the, there are obviously two banks of flats and a great deal of open space at this level, which is entirely for the residents, and, and, and the shopping street. And Wayne just said what a mess it became in the, in the 80s and 90s. And the reason for that was that the original developer went bankrupt. He went bankrupt because on this site were a lot of 18th century houses that belonged to the founding hospital and were the revenue stream for the founding hospital. A developer walked into an auction in the mid-1950s and bought the whole thing with the intention of knocking it down and chucking everybody out. Um, the, the, the whole area was full of, of furnished tenants um, and he intended to throw them all out. Um, Labour government came into power in, 19, in, in 1964 and gave tenancy protection to furnished tenants for the first time. And this meant immediately that the thing wasn't, wasn't viable any longer. Um, and so he sold it to the contractor. Um, <coughs> the, 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 the retailers who were, who were um, uh, lined up to take all the shops um, disappeared as soon as they heard that his solution to the, to the problem was to give a 99-year lease to Camden Council for all the flats on condition that Camden Council rehoused everybody who lived here. So there are a lot of people who live here now, a lot of, lot of people, mostly ladies, in their 80s who, who lived on the estate before and who've lived here ever since. And, and so it, it went into the doldrums because the shopping never worked. The, the current makeover uh, uh, happened because an enlightened uh, and uh, architecturally interested and aware developer called Mike Ingle of Allied London saw this thing in about 1995 bought it in 1998 and, and decided that, that the shopping um, would work given a makeover. And, and I can't go on any longer, but the point about the makeover is that what you're seeing here is, is what the freeholder, who's the, the developer, is responsible for. He cleaned up the whole building. 
but he didn't clean up the housing because the housing is Camden's responsibility. So anything you can see around you which looks grotty is Camden's responsibility. <laughs> okay? And anything which is really cleaned up and spruced up is the, is, is the developers. If we just go through here, you just see the terrace. So, so for those of you who are interested, the, the density here was built to the maximum, which was 200 habitable rooms to the acre, which translated into new money, is, is roughly 150 dwellings to the hectare, um, which, which, is a, which is a really uh, respectable maximum until Ken Livingstone took the, took the lid off densities when he became mayor, and since then they've shot up. Um, and, and the housing was all originally designed as private housing. It was going to be completely glazed. The winter gardens were going to be continuous. And every flat in the original scheme had, had two huge sliding doors which were cranked um, and which, which turned a winter garden in the winter into a balcony in the summer. And when the, the scheme had to be redesigned, um, and, and Wayne, I contradicted you when you said it was designed to Parker Morris. Actually, the space standards are Parker Morris. There are aspects of it which aren't. But it was redesigned just as one- and two-bedroom flats to Parker Morris space standards. And, and part of the winter gardens were kept because they are um, uh, they're, they're, they're part of the floor area. Uh, but every flat's got a, a really generous balcony. And people love living here. Um, it's, it's a really, really popular place. And when Mrs. Thatcher first introduced the right to buy um, in the early 1980s, the original purchasers purchased their flats. They, they only had to raise a mortgage of 15,000. And, and now the flats are they're on, this, on the market for around about 450,000. So, so, so that, that's an indication of, of how popular it is. But it is a struggle. Um, as Wayne said, uh, actually retrofitting this building to, uh, to make it carbon neutral by 2050 is going to be a huge challenge because apart from anything else, the building's listed. The window frames are listed. English Heritage wouldn't countenance that window frames have been double glazed um, uh, recently. So, so, so that's a real problem. And I think that's probably at least five minutes and we should get going. After the Brunswick Centre, the next two stops were at two Peabody Trust buildings, the first in Farringdon, built in the middle of the 19th century, and the second in King's Cross. For those who don't know Peabody buildings, these are model buildings of the... They started in the 1860s, and this actually was built in 1884, on slum clearance land. So you imagine tenements higher than this, higher density... Um, but actually the brief to um, the purchase of the, of the land was to build at the same density. Um, that meant five flats per floor. Uh, they got lots of facilities like running water and a bit shared toilets. Sorry, I've got a fairly bad throat. 
Um, so every uh, block is, is independent. They're not joined up so that you get lots of light and air, which was one of the main features of the previous slums just did not have. So if you can imagine five flats, but since, since then, these buildings have been pretty much as you see them today, apart from bomb damage over there, they've been cleaned, front doors added, but all the details and the restoration works that you see here feels pretty much as it would have been in 1884, except now there are two flats per floor and they've been converted and modernised. Everybody has their own self-contained home as opposed to sharing communal facilities up on the roof space uh, where the laundries were and then a shared toilet on every floor. At the time, they were criticised for being barrack-like and very forbidding. And I think when you go out onto the street side, you'll see they're perhaps a bit more forbidding. But on a day like this, with the landscape courtyard, I think they would agree they're probably anything but forbidding. Um, the uh, other thing I want to say just is, I think the children's play space was, was a later addition. Um, probably when it was first built, it was just asphalt courtyard. No car parking then. A bit of car parking now. Um, here it is. Any questions? What, what are the um, rules with car parking? Do you know? I would imagine they must have uh, agreed allocations and possibly anybody who has disability needs, but very, very few car parking spaces um, here. And I think on other Peabody sites, there'll be much, much less. And given that they're right next to Farrington Tube, and they don't really need a car at all. It's quite lots of ornate uh, leaves of coloured bricks. If money was tight then, is that, a, is that quite common? To, um, do you know that add to cost? Well, it, you would have thought it would, but this was a, it was a criticism that these were not detailed enough. This was considered rather austere and plain. So I think perhaps compared to other construction that was being done, perhaps of a higher quality building. Um, one thing I should also say is that Peabody set up his trust in such a way that it would be perpetuated so that people were expected to be able to pay rent. This was housing for uh, respectable poor, as it's described, so people who could pay a little rent, so they'd made a little bit of money, so they could then put that into the fund to keep building more, more homes for people, which is what Peabody have done. They're still building homes for people today and, and renting them out, and um, it's obviously been a very, very successful model. And they've obviously built them nice and solid and good and strong because they're still standing. So it's 125 years old. I'd love to come back in 125 years and go around all the award-winning ones today. It would just be really interesting. This will still be here. This will still be here in 125 years. So we moved on about 70 years from Peabody Estates. We're in the 1950s. Imagine that there are the two streets of east-west blocks here and over here with some slightly earlier blocks over there. Six-storey blocks surrounded by grass and trees. Pretty open and, and that was it. Between here and, and King's Cross Station um, are some more housing and squares, older squares which had um, Georgian um, and had sort of Victorian, sorry, I should say Victorian, um, terraced houses bounding them. And then through the, the 50s, slums and 
probably war damaged buildings were replaced by these blocks, which were based on the principle of having more sunlight, more light, more air, uh, following the 1949 Housing Act, uh, which was encouraging more mixed development, not just ha uh, replacing housing for uh, people who needed to, to rent, but much more mixed uh, uh, development. And the principle was that you faced east-west to maximise sun. The courtyards over the other side, as you, as you go through, will actually do get an awful lot of sun at slightly earlier in the day. But as uh, time progressed, uh, there were a lot of problems with, mostly with uh, prostitutes, drug addicts, just people hanging about here. The whole area had a very bad reputation. And the Camden Council in 1994 applied for estate action funding, which is where we and Floyd Sasky and Shawsprunt and the uh, landscape architects were Tibbles TN2, who I, th I think the, the success of these blocks has been in the transformations that I'll explain very briefly, but probably more than anything through the landscape and the sort of security measures that have just turned it from being a very desolate and rather scary place to be into being something which residents are very, very proud of. Inside, the flats are, as we mentioned Parker Morris earlier, they are, I believe, maybe even slightly better than Parker Morris because at the time the, the Housing Act actually looked for very good standards of storage, good room sizes, and everybody got, gets a balcony. So a great improvement since uh, Peabody. The problems that were, were faced here were more of heat loss, condensation, cold flats. So what we've done is overclad them in, in render, uh, coloured render, insulation, that's going to keep them warm and they're sort of wrapped up from the outside so that's really dealt with the complexity of all the junctions uh, it's not like the Brunswick Centre where we were earlier and then through consultation with residents extensive consultation the design of the, the spaces was um, brought about which are now very mature and very well looked after um, we've got semi-basements which have also been given um, uses before, that was where the drug addicts used to hang out. Now they've been converted into flats, there's a mosque, there's a healthy living centre, there's a place for older people to meet. So there's, there's a lot of social functions that are happening here and again that helps reinforce the community. In many ways it doesn't work in the way that perhaps we think about designing housing now and perhaps back in the Victorian times which is having front door on the street, putting blocks around the, perhaps around the courtyard. But I think the uh, the and the security and privacy that's been given to nice bright entrances which everybody can see in all of that has made these places actually work really really well and I, I think what would be interesting if we just go up the street this way you can get glimpses into the different courtyards every block's got a slightly different space um, there's one block at the end which is slightly higher about 12 stories um, see for yourselves what you think compared to the Peabody I'm from JCMT Architects and we were involved with Peabody from the beginning really. They had to put together um, a design working with local residents 
um, to, to win their support to transfer all the stock to the ownership of Peabody. Um, the outcome of that process was a decision to refurbish all of um, ten estates in this area um, uh, with no new buildings at all. Um, but part of that commitment um, was to have local on-site management staff, housing staff, and also for there to be some community benefit. So the decision was made to have one new building which would house those two functions and would act as a kind of a flagship and a symbol for the whole new regeneration in the area. So this building, the, the brief was based on a lot of consultation which went over about a two-year period, not just with residents but also with local schools and community groups. Um, and as that process went on, the brief grew really and what started out as just a, a community hall with a, a kitchen and a small office became um, well first of all people said they couldn't use the hall or they, a lot more people would use the hall if there was a crash there to support that and enable a lot of single parents to come and use that facility there were a lot of groups who needed an exhibition space for arts and crafts Peabody decided to add a regional office as well as the on-site management office and then one of the key issues that emerged from the discussion with residents about the whole estate was security. Peabody commissioned a report, the recommendations of which was that there should be one single point of entry for the whole of Priory Green Estate, um, and also that there should be a 24-hour concierge for these two blocks in particular, which are the two biggest ones in Priory Green. Um, the building was completed in 2004. Um, it's been in use since. The, one of the things we were trying to achieve was some sort of sense of transparency here in the, front, in the middle of the building so that there'd be a linking of the public and the private and inside and outside. One of the other key features was sustainability. Um, the building is entirely timber frame construction. It's got a recycled newspaper insulation, naturally breathing walls. Um, the rest of the building is clad in timber, which is the sort of softer side onto the estate. These two walls, uh, to either side of the main hall here, were intended to act as a kind of protective hard shell to the street and clad in tiles to pick up on Lubetkin's use of tiles on the estate behind. Well, just worth, it's worth just having a... Oh, wait, it's probably worth just having a little discussion about gated communities as well because probably about five years ago, just about everybody was, was saying that the, the concept of... the gated communities was something that was coming over from America... Uh, mainly, mainly in wealthy people's developments. And there was people like Anne Minton and all the commentators at the time kicking up real, real fusses about the idea of... And me as well, kicking up real fusses about the idea of gated communities, uh, saying, saying that it was just a way for wealthy people to shut, to shut the poor out. And yet, now, it's very hard to find an old social housing development that doesn't end up being gated, uh, so, so that people, people who are on a lower income are choosing to, to live in gated communities. It, it completely ends the, the concept of, of public, public space, and, and in, the, in the true sense of the word, and, al and also kind of ends the idea of, of total permeability of streets. Because this is, this is, a, big chunk, this is a, a big chunk of London. There's one development, if you ever, if you ever get to King's Lynn, um, which not many people do because it's kind of at the end of the train line. But we're working on a, a 320-unit estate um, called Hillington Square. And the first thing that everybody says is, can we have gates and can we have CCTV cameras? We're working on an estate in Aylesbury um, where, again, they want it gated 
and, and, and they want CCTV cameras. We're working on, a, on an estate in, uh, in Maidenhead where they're not, they're not getting all of these things. Uh, but again, it's one of the first things you always get in public consultation is want CCTV cameras, I want gated communities. So it's a, it's a really interesting thing to think about as we go around. From here, it was an uphill ride to Hampstead and a visit to the famous ISOCON building that was built in the 1930s as a modernist experiment in communal living. The building was commissioned by the Pritchard's family in 19, early 1930s and the construction started in 1933. Pritchard's family were a family who used to import uh, plywood from Eastern Scandinavia, um, Estonia, places like that. They wanted a pirater in London from their country home, so they in, uh, commissioned Wells Coasts, who wasn't, strictly speaking, an architect. He was an engineer and his boat designer, but he dabbled in architecture. They commissioned him to build uh, an apartment block uh, with a new notion of having pirateurs. a really kind of um, Edwardian... Um, Bloomsbury type, um, if you like, studio flats, but um, they're even smaller. From the very beginning, it became an artist's commune. Um, Pritchards were um, very interested in uh, supporting community, artist com artistic communities, even though some of the artists who stayed here were not exactly poor ones to, to, be, to be nurtured, uh, the types of Agatha Christie who lived in that unit and had a whole cut in the wall between the two units because her husband had one and she had the other. So they had interconnecting rooms. During the, um, the war years, uh, the, the artistic community kept expanding in this place. The, the, uh, the, the, the rise of fascism in, East, in, in Central Eastern Europe uh, made a lot of uh, uh, intelligentsia moved westwards and the first state was here Walter Gropius had number 15 uh, Mahola Naj uh, resided here Marcel Breuer and his wife stayed here so it, it was continually being a, 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 an artist commune in 1972 Camden Council acquired the building and from then on the down where the slider started it basically was used as a, a sort of a small sink estate. Um, people who are difficult to house, single people, people with mental issues were housed here. So the, 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 the degradation became very rapid from then onwards. In um, the year 2000, Camden Council didn't know what to do with it, so they launched another competition, again with another housing association, this term Nothing Hill Housing Association, we bid it for, for the building. The, the financial package was interesting to the council because basically uh, uh, the whole of most of the building is for key workers. 
who can uh, buy from uh, 25% upwards of the units. The larger units in the penthouse became part of the subsidizing uh, package to be sold on private market. And um, we went through uh, a very uh, detailed um, historical, uh, almost archaeological investigation to really get to the bottom of uh, what was the original building like, what were the original color scheme, um, and even to the, to the point that none of the uh, door numbers were remaining apart from a picture which had number 13 on it. From that picture, we identified the typeface and replicated the, the, the lettering. So it was a labor of love in terms of restoration and really historic accuracy. Um, there are some, still some, some problems. Uh, the units are very, very small. I think they go from 24 square meters to uh, the penthouse, which is about 60 three square meters so the largest is 63 square meters the smallest is, is 24 square meters final stop in this ride is the Alexandra Road Estate, sometimes known as Rowley Way in Kilburn. It was built in the 1970s according to a design by architect Neve Brown. My practice was involved in repair work here uh, until recently. The, this was about 10 years later than the Brunswick. It, the architects officially were Camden Council Architects Department. But the architect was Neve Brown, um, who went on to do several more schemes in Camden and then a lot of work in Holland, and he taught in the States. And, and he now lives in a state in Camden, which we just came past. And this was designed... Um, it, it doesn't owe any references to the Brunswick in spite of the fact that he and Patrick Hodgkinson were in the same year at the AA. Um, th- basically, Neve was a, a, a disciple of Corb, of Corbusier, and Patrick Hodgkinson claimed <laughs> the, the, his influences on the, on the Brunswick were Nash Terraces and St. Elia, the futurist movement in in Italy, so so although they're mates, they um, they neither claims any influence from the other. Um, it's it's a radical building in terms of its construction. It's entirely very very beautifully and very very expensively put together in situ white concrete for the most part, which which hasn't weathered all that well, um, but but. There has been there have been two main problems with it over the years. One one is that um, the heating system, which any of you who live in Camden will will have read about because it's legendary. It was designed by Max Fordham, and the and the the heating consists of 
um, heated coils in the party walls of the flats. And sometimes the heated coils were not uh, positioned in the middle of the walls. So the f- one flat was warm and then the flat next door was cold. And, and, and there have been huge problems and there's enormous controversy going on about it at the moment with Neve Brown right in the middle. I mean, ne- Neve, is, he, he, he watches over this building um, uh, jealously. And the other thing is that although it was beautifully detailed and he, he left behind the most immaculate maintenance schedules, all of which Camden promptly lost, um, it leaked terribly. The... Um, the, the, the specification for all the flat roofs and balconies was completely inadequate and, um, and so they were having the most terrible problems with leaks and the, main, the main roofs and all the balconies and of course with the setback building that's fatal um, those, were, uh, those were sorted out about three or four years ago and, and the building doesn't leak anymore as far as I know um, but the, the other problem, which uh, touches on some of the conversations we had before, um, has been about security. There have been big security problems at Alexander Road for years, and there's been a question about whether to, whether to turn it into um, a, a secure zone so that there's only one point of entry as, as at Priory Road. Um, and one of the big problems has been graffiti, um, white concrete and graffiti don't go um, down at the far end uh, there was one wall which had been graffitied with a, with a mixture of black boot polish and something else which, which uh, just doesn't come off um, uh, there's almost no graffiti removal technique that, that will get it off and, and at one stage um, we were removing graffiti and as, soon, as quickly as it was being removed it was, it was going back up again so, so it was a it, it was it was a it was a sort of a completely defeating uh, objective um, but I, as you can see it's it is still open and I think that the right to buy has um, I, th- I think i mean i'm several years out of date because I, I haven't been at Levitt-Bernstein for the last three years, and so I don't know what the latest is. But the controversy over the heating still goes on. The thing about security is still, is still going on. Um, there is an absolutely exquisite landscape park, a linear park on that side there, which stretches from Abbey Road through to the, whatever the road is up at the top. And, and, and the security problems in the park have been even worse than in the housing. Um, and, um, and if you want an opinion, for my money, I would have secured the whole thing for 10 years um, until, until it, 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 the, the security situation got stabilised because, I mean, kids were, were, were trading drugs in the, in the, in the park um, at will and there was absolutely no way of stopping them. Um, so so it, this particular scheme... Uh, it, you know, it ought not to be secured. It ought not to be gated in any way. And I'm sure that it's it's listed grade two. It'll be here in a hundred years' time. And and by the time the gentrification of Kilburn has taken place, there won't be any need for any gates or any security, any, any additional security. And it will then work as as Neve originally intended it to. Um, but but it has been a problem for the last 15, 20 years and blighted a lot of people's lives.